0: Good morning. My name is Adam. I'm on the team here. And um, this morning, I am, hopefully, if I can just get my bits and bobs in the right place, I'm going to speak to you guys, continuing our series in Genesis. But before I get on to the passage, I suppose the um, the question that I wanted to start with, the question that I wanted to ask us, is one that requires me to step into a, a persona which... Is maybe not naturally my own. So let me let me try this. Who <clears throat> are you? I've not quite nailed it. Let me try again. Who um, are you? And I suppose that question really is the key to what we're going to be talking about this morning. Who are you, as defined by you, not? what other people say, but, but as defined by you, who, who are you? Um, we, we all have a striving to be famous for something. Even if we're not keen on being famous, we all want to be famous for something. So um, I would love to be famous for being just really great at stuff. Um, and I'm sure we can all think of things that we'd like to be famous for being good at. Um, I find I regularly end up making a name for myself uh, for the things that I'm not so good at. So lots of people will know that I am generally late for generally everything. Um, and I try so hard not to be and just find myself arriving late anyhow. It doesn't seem to be anything I can do about it. Um, I'll just have to keep praying, I suppose. Um, but what is it that you're setting out to be famous for? What, what's the thing that you want to make a name for yourself for? It might be your Your business i don't know whether you had this great idea and you thought people will know my name because i'm the guy that came up with whatever it might be um or or maybe um it's uh, how good you are at relationships and you want everybody to know because of the way you act that you are great at relationships you're the person they should come to if they have trouble relating to somebody It, it, it could be anything i've just picked two random things um uh, for me in, in, in my past life, uh, that makes it sound terrible. But, but no, I really just mean before I moved to Bristol. Um, I, uh, I, my job before I worked uh, at a church, um, I was uh, an adventurous activities instructor. And um, I did a whole, whole range of different uh, fun outside things. And that was really, that became a lot about my identity. That was what I was striving towards being and, and doing. That was who I was going to be. Um, The guy that could always take you safely through whatever terrain by whatever means. Um, And for various reasons, I have ended up not doing that anymore. And I would love to say that the reasons were entirely my own choice. But unfortunately, uh, as often happens, my choice was not necessarily the right one. And God had to give me a few nudges along the way. So, who are you? Let's just do a little recap. So we're in Genesis. We started in September. We're going to carry on all the way through um, to the summer next year. And we're about to get to the end of the first half of Genesis. Genesis we can't be halfway through a book with 50 chapters. We're only in chapter 11. Um, And and if you look at the whole, the broad structure of Genesis, it it basically has these two halves, not literally um, 50-50 split, but it it has two kind of story arcs. And the start of Genesis um, talks a a lot about the whole world. And we see from chapter one that we've we've heard all the way through now to chapter 11, um, this sort of first act. And then, from chapter 12 onwards, there's a sort of a bridging story, and we meet this guy called Abraham, who you've probably heard of. He's not called Abraham um, when we meet him. But we've, we've heard so far about um, God creating stuff, God making things that are really good, and then the things that he's created, people, us... Um, We we screw it up in some ways. So we've heard about Adam and Eve. And and we don't need to go into detail again because you can catch up on the website if you want to. But Adam and Eve screw stuff up. And then we hear about Cain and Abel. And and Cain and Abel, they screw stuff up. Even though God started right. And then um, after that we hear about a guy called Lamech. And there's, there's lots of just terrible stuff happening in the world. Um, And eventually we hear about about the flood and Noah, and and the flood is this idea um, of God's great sadness at what's happened. Often we think about it, we look at it through the lens of anger, um, and God was so angry. But actually there's a a real sadness in what we read about how God um, feels about the world and the way he feels about what seems to be the only solution. To wipe clean, to, to set us right. And last week, um, we were going to hear something about, about the um, Noahic covenant, which immediately made me go, the what? Um, but basically, the covenant, the promise that God makes to Noah. I'm just going to really quickly recap that. It's pretty simple. Um, God wipes the world clean with the floods, and then he promises that he's never going to do that again. He basically gives Noah and humanity. He gives us a second chance. Unconditionally, he says, I will not do this again. He doesn't say, I won't do this again because there's no way you'll get as bad as you were before. He just says, I, I'm not going to do that again. And I think that plays into something about that profound sadness that we hear about, um, about how he feels about the way the world has, has gotten and, and what the solutions seem to be. So we get to the Noahic covenant. We, get, we, we hear this sort of second chance, and um, Noah and his sons screw that up as well. Um, we don't, again, need to kind of go into that, but we're in this sort of place of second chance still. And that's where we enter chapter 11. It's worth saying, before we get to chapter 11, there's a chapter, chapter 10, um, which it's titled The Table of Nations. And it basically talks about um, uh, this, the, the, level, the, the place that which the world has got to since... Noah, so the repopulation so far. And, and this story in chapter 11 is kind of like a flashback to that table of nations. Sometimes the order of stuff in the Bible seems a bit weird because we're not used to the way that that literature is written. Um, but I think probably one of the reasons we've missed chapter 10 out is because there's a lot of really hard names in there. Um, so if you had to read it, you get little passages like, um, Oz, Hol, Geth, and Meshach, of Faxad who was the father of Sheila, and that's one of the easy ones. Um, and, and so if we had to kind of go through the whole thing, I would just—I be having a nightmare. Um, so aside from anything else, I'm glad that we've missed it out for the names. But here we are. We get to chapter 11. And um, this is sort of the, the final straw, the final act of that first act of Genesis, the final failure of, of humanity. Um, And you may have heard of the Tower of Babel before. Let me read that passage, um, starting at verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in the Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the whole face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over sorry, over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. I always wonder whether to say this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God because we never have the liturgy on the screen. It's it's a simple way of saying I've just read the Bible and I want to remind us all that the Bible is not it's not any old book, it's not something that I've made up or picked. It's the word of the Lord. Um, And sometimes we should be grudging when we say, thanks be to God, because it's very difficult and hard to understand. But I'm going to try saying it again, because it's also one of the greatest gifts we have as the church. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Um, So when I read that passage, I have a couple of questions. Um, That that come to my mind. And the first one is is kind of an arrogant question. And and I I hear myself thinking. But what's wrong with a united people working towards greatness? When I read the passage and I see that um, these people. They're all speaking one language. They're cooperating. And they're building this great city with this massive tower. How cool is that? That's the sort of cooperation and teamwork. That we strive for all the time. What is wrong with it uh, that God comes down and says, oh, well, I be, if they can do this, I better stop them. I wouldn't want them to get any better than what they are at the moment. It seems absolutely ridiculous and, and makes God seem really petulant in my mind. Um, you might guess that's probably not where I'm going with the talk. Um, but I suppose it's worth recognizing that it's not the perfect cooperative that the, the couple of words in the passage might lead us to believe. Um, we, I mentioned the, the name Lamech earlier. is um, uh, a guy who took many, many wives and sort of treated them essentially like slaves. Um, we, we know about the building of the pyramids, large um, structures that were very difficult to build, and they were largely built using slave labor. Um, so the fact that they can speak the same language does not mean that the whole club are equal partners and working in perfect cooperation. It just means that they're able to organize. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it nicely or well. They're just being productive. And, and as many people here will know and have experienced for themselves, being efficient is not always the only thing worth going for. If you can do something very efficiently, that's brilliant. But you want to do it well, and you want to be doing the right thing in the first place. And so doing the right thing, are they, are they doing the right thing? Well, they're going against God's directive, so in, in, in the first chapter of Genesis, in, in, in verse 28, God um, commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to prosper, to spread across the earth and subdue it. And, and um, that's not what we're reading about here. Um, what we're reading about is, is the people of, of Babel wanting to stay put. They want to stay in this place. They don't want to be scattered. They don't want to have to um, uh, spread across the whole world which is what God is asking or commanding them to do. So in doing this building of a city and in doing this thing, they're, they're going against the prime directive. We hear it again in, in chapter 9, in the first verse of chapter 9, um, after the flood, God again commands Noah to be fruitful and to spread through the earth. And they're also, they're also trying to make a name for themselves. Which you might hear hearkening back to what I said at the start. So what does it say here? It says, um, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now we know that God has already given them a name. So... God named Adam and Eve at the, st- at the start when we, when we see that. And, and God gives us our identity and our purpose. And in making a name for ourselves, doing our own thing to self-define who we are, what's important about us, and what people should remember about us, that that is rejecting what God says about us. It's going the opposite way to what God says about us. Um. They make this city um, called Babel, and, and in, in, the, in the Akkadian language, so the, the language of the people making the city, the word kind of means um, gate of God or gateway to the gods. They're building a massive tower to reach up to the heavens, which is a word we read in the Old Testament. The word for heavens and sky, is um, it, it just sort of means um, beyond, up above. Um, and so the, the word for sky is interchangeable with the word for the place that God dwells. They're building a tower to get to God to become God they're building a tower to get to heaven um but ironically and we read at the end um the Lord scattered them all over the earth um uh, and then in the final verse that is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world so confused is very similar to the way that the word Babel sounds so in Hebrew it sounds like confused um The Babylonians, the Babelites, are trying to make a gateway to God. They're trying to self identify through their own action rather than allowing God to give them an identity that is truer and from Him. Um, And they don't realize that in in making a gate to God, they're just becoming confused. Um, Where are we at? so the, the only person whose who's name making, whose efforts to make a name for themselves, the only person for whom that was legitimate was um, a guy who will undoubtedly have heard of called Jesus, and We read about him in the New Testament rather than the Old Testament, although there are lots of flash forwards um, in the Old Testament that we can we can see uh, talking about Jesus and, and one of the things that Jesus says, and bear in mind this is a vastly mixed metaphor. But in, in John 10, Jesus says that I am the gate. So the, the, ba- the, the Babelites are making a gateway to God. But God says, actually, they're just confused. And then later on, Jesus says that, that he is the gate. And, and in, in that, that story, that metaphor, Jesus is talking about being the gateway to the sheepfold, the sheep being um, the people of God. And, and, and basically, Jesus is the way to get to heaven. Jesus is the way to get to God. Um, And that's the key thing that the Babylonians, the Babelites, that's that's what they're missing. Is that you don't get to God through effort. You get to God through Jesus. And so um, God looks down. I love this bit where it says, uh, where where are we at? Uh, Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. As though they were building this massive city, this huge tower. But God couldn't quite see it. Because even though it was so vast and such a lot of effort had gone into it and it was so great, it's nothing compared to God. It didn't even get close. God has to come down to have a closer look so that he can actually see it because it's so far away and minute. And he says, you know, if, if as a people of one language they can achieve this, if they can go so heartily against the identity that I've given them, if they can... Um, use one another, not just cooperate with, but use one another to their own ends, then surely I have to do something. And he's not going to do the flood again. We've read that. We know that he won't do that. He's covenanted against it. Um, But instead what he does is he kind of uh, enables another second chance. He confuses the language. He, He brings... He brings to pass lots of different languages. Um, and it's funny that it was just having a common language seems to be the only thing that enabled these people to work together to control things. They weren't um, of one spirit or one accord, they just spoke the same language. And as soon as the language is confused, they scattered. Like they just didn't know what to do now. Actually, it's very gracious that god confuses the languages so unlike my initial response of oh but that's so unfair they were doing such a good job no i don't think they were um i think the majority of people were not having a great time however cool the tower was um I want to touch briefly on on Pentecost. I don't know if people have heard of Pentecost before. Pentecost is uh, the the moment in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where we read the Holy Spirit um, comes upon the people of God, comes upon Christians. And and often this is uh, termed as like a reversal of Babel. um, Because in the moment that the Holy Spirit arrives, uh, all these people in this gathering begin to speak in different tongues that aren't their own. Uh, and and miraculously, uh, people gathered from many nations there are all able to understand what's being said because by the Spirit, these people who don't have another language are able to speak another language so that they can be understood. But it's not a reversal of Babel. Babel is the sort of creation of these different languages, the confusion of, of, of language into many. And Pentecost doesn't reverse that because there are still many languages But what it does is it redeems it. Part of God's redemption plan for the world, that's Jesus if if you didn't know that. um, Part of God's redemption plan for the world is not just taking everything we've done wrong and winding the clock back and just resetting to the start. The redemption plan is this plan of something called sanctification, of a being made holy, of being made clean. And it's something that we are involved with ourselves. God redeems what exists currently. It doesn't mean that everything that exists now will exist in the way that it, it does now forever. Um, so I would imagine murder will stop, stop happening um, when, when Jesus comes again and, and we're in a, a new heaven and a new earth but will still be the same people only will be redeemed and so in pentecost we see the confusion is the thing that's reversed not the languages god by his spirit is present and redeems that confusion and allows only by his spirit everybody to understand each other in, in, in one language But the language is not a tongue that people are speaking. The language is is a spirit. It's a a heart message. It's an attitude. Um, By the spirit, we participate in our ongoing redemption and sanctification. That's what we see at Pentecost, is, is God graciously allowing us to be involved in repairing what's gone wrong. Now, what does this mean for us? I think I would return to the question at the start. Who are you? When um, when you set out on a new thing, what's your motivation? Is, is it that you'd like to make a name for yourself? Um, because if it is, that doesn't make you an awful, awful person and it also doesn't make you really any different to anybody else. Um, but we're told to do everything to the glory of God and for that to be our motivation. Um, we're told that our identity is in Christ, in, in Jesus. And that, that that should be what defines us, not, not what we do. So if what we do is to define us, then we need to make sure that, that what we do is what God is, is going on, not, not what we have going on. And I suppose then there are some challenges that I pick up from this story. Uh, I think some of us here will have towers that we have built, towers that attest to our greatness. And um, I think we need to abandon them. I think if we don't have towers, then we all certainly have bricks. This brand new technology, it sounds ridiculous to us, but bricks, what a revolution. Suddenly you can choose the shape of your building block and just mass produce it and make anything you want. What's that brick? What's the thing that revolutionizes the way you live? That, that next answer that you've got. It might be uh, a new app that you have that will run your life for you, and, and that's great, but but I don't think it will. It might be that you um you just need that thing, that new technology. We all have bricks, things that we 're going to rely upon, things that we want to um, we want to define us rather than what God says. And so what do we need to do instead? Well, we should own God's name for us. In Revelation, which is a very confusing book at the end of the Bible, uh, there are lots of things that are said that I won't go into. Um, but, but one of the things it, it talks about is, is the, the, the people of God, the, the people at the end of the world who, um, who are in heaven, for want of a better phrase, They have Christ's name written on them. That's God's name for us. We're redeemed because of what Jesus has done in coming to make unnecessary the punishment that we deserve. Because he took it himself. And and so if we are laying down bricks and abandoning towers... And owning God's name for us, we also should be taking up the Spirit. When we accept Jesus, um, we also, though we sometimes forget, are inviting the Spirit into our lives, into our hearts, to begin that work of redemption, of sanctification, of making us right, of making us holy So yeah, remember, don't build a tower as a gate to God, because Jesus is the only gate to God. The key is not having the same language, but being of one spirit. I'm going to leave it there, and I suggest that for a moment we just stay quiet and um, allow my many words to filter into the right places in your heads and hearts. Amen.